1973, researchers set up a study of students at Princeton Theological Seminary all about what influences people to help others. The students, they were all preparing to be ministers, and they were put into two groups. Some were asked to prepare a short inspirational talk on whatever they wanted, while others were guided to prepare their message on uh, based on the parable of the Good Samaritan. After they all prepared, then the students uh, were, were told they needed to go to a different building, uh, a couple of minutes walk uh, on campus in order to, uh, to deliver their, uh, their, their message that they had just prepared. Uh, some of those students were told that they were late and that they needed to, uh, to get there right away. Uh, others were told they, they, were, they had, had enough time, but they better leave right now. And then others were told, well, you've got a little bit of time. Uh, you don't have to be there until uh, a little bit later. Unbeknownst to those students in the alley on the way to the other building, from the building where they had prepared their messages to where they were going to deliver their messages, uh, in the alley uh, was, a, was an actor on the ground, slumped over with his back against the building, moaning, appearing to be in some type of distress. The students in the study would have to virtually walk over him, step over him in order to get past and go get to where they were going. And the researchers then, uh, as they set up this study, they wondered if, well, the majority of students might stop just because they are preparing for the ministry and they're, they're kind of predisposed toward helping others and, and uh, kindness and empathy and all those things. So, so uh, there, there may be uh, a, a large majority that would help, help this person in need. Or they, the researchers also wondered if maybe uh, this group who had been preconditioned uh, by preparing a message just minutes earlier about the Good Samaritan, then maybe they would be more predisposed to helping the man in need. Turns out, uh, the only measurable conclusion that the researchers found had to do with whether the people were in a hurry or not. Overall, just 40% of the seminary students stopped to help the man. 63% of the students in the you've got enough time, you don't have to be there right away group uh, stopped to help. 45% of the students in the uh, you, can, you better get over there, but you don't have to, you've, you've got time uh, group. They, 45% of those students uh, made it over. And just 10% of the students who were told they were late stopped to help the man in need. The researchers concluded that if people are in a hurry, they are much less likely to stop and help someone in need. Now, I, I couldn't find it, but I read somewhere that, um, that John Quinones, uh, what would you do? You've seen that show maybe back, back in the day. I don't know if they're still making those or not. They, they kind of reproduced this thing which much, with much of the same results uh, just, uh, just a few years ago. But I, I think maybe Jesus was on to something that, that we can still relate to in his parable of the Good Samaritan. It's, it's probably a familiar one, maybe more familiar than some of the ones that we've looked at this summer. Uh, most people, whether, whether they're Christian or not, have probably heard about or heard of the Good Samaritan. He's kind of famous, really. Uh, I mean, there's hospitals that are named after him, right? And uh, good deeds are done in his name every day. Well, he's just being a Good Samaritan, right? On the surface, this parable seems to be a story about being kind, uh, but but there's more going on below the surface. So uh, I want us to not only read the parable, but get a running start by looking at the context of when Jesus told 
this story. Luke chapter 10, beginning in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for an extra, any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So this parable is uh, Jesus' answer to a question from a, uh, a lawyer and a theologian, a, a, an expert in Jewish law. Not, not a lawyer necessarily like we would think about today, but a, uh, someone who was, who was uh, an expert in Jewish religious law. This man was part of the religious leadership of the day, and he, along with his cronies uh, in leadership that, of the day, were skeptical of Jesus. And so this man asked, what do I need to inherit eternal life? Which, if you think about it, is kind of a flawed question. He's asking, what do I do to inherit? You don't do anything to inherit something. Inheritance is a gift. Inheritance is based on relationship, not on doing things. I inherit because of my relationship to my parents, not on doing anything to earn that. Well, it, Jesus didn't make a big deal about that flawed question. Maybe I'm making more of a big deal about it than I should. But, but uh, Jesus also, uh, he didn't make a big deal about it, but he also didn't answer it. Instead, Jesus responded as any good rabbi would respond. He responded with a question. Uh, Woody Allen says that he once asked a rabbi, why does a rabbi always answer a question with a question? To which the rabbi responded to Woody Allen, why shouldn't a rabbi always answer a question with a question? The man answered Jesus. Jesus asked him, well, what do you think? And Jesus, this, this man answered exactly as Jesus has, had answered. Uh, and we, we see in, in other places, uh, Jesus was asked this question, and, and uh, this man answered exactly as Jesus uh, answered by quoting uh, a couple of passages in the law. Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. The essence, then, of what this, this uh, 
expert in, in religious law responded, the essence of what he was responding uh, in, in literally quoting the law, but also in quoting what, how Jesus had responded in the past, uh, was that receiving eternal life was not so much about jumping through the religious hoops and checking off the boxes of following the laws, but uh, doing good things and earning this eternal life, but it's about a relationship with God, uh, which then spills over into our relationships with others. Oh, what, how do you inherit eternal life? Love the Lord your God. God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love your neighbor. And so Jesus said, you got it, great. And I can just, in my mind, I just picture uh, Jesus going, yep, you got it. And he starts, turns and walks away. And this guy uh, wanted, to, wanted to, to, to keep on going. He wasn't done. Remember, he wasn't there to get the right answer. He was there to test Jesus. So in order to look good in front of the crowd, he, he asked a follow-up question. He said, well, okay, uh, who is my neighbor? And Jesus' response then is this parable. That, you know, that puts it in context for us. Jesus didn't just come out of the blue and tell this parable, but it's actually the answer to a question, who is my neighbor? I, I don't, do you know your neighbors? Some of you maybe know your neighbors. Some of you maybe it's a wave as you drive in or out. Or, or uh, maybe you know, uh, you, you see them when you take your trash, ta- trash cans out uh, once a week. Or maybe you're real good friends with your... I mean, it's important to get to know the people that God has put in your sphere of influence. And that includes the people who live around you. Hopefully, you know your neighbors. But really, that's a different sermon for another day. This isn't really about who lives next door to you. Actually, in asking who is my neighbor, this, this man was insinuating, there's, there's more to this question than what's there on the surface. He's, he's actually saying, if there's a neighbor that I must love, then there's, there's got to be a non-neighbor that I don't really have to feel obligated to love, right? There's, there's got to be a line there, so I don't have to love everybody. And, and whether we admit it or not, we may subconsciously ask the same question ourselves, or, or at least live like that. Uh, there must be limits to loving neighbors, right, Jesus? I mean, come on. People in Jesus' day had, had drawn the, that line in different places. Uh, most would have agreed that loving neighbors uh, meant uh, loving fellow Jews. So the, the Jewish folks, they were, uh, you know, good law-abiding Jewish folks, and they would love those that, are, that were also uh, good law-abiding Jewish folks. Uh, and they would, uh, they, they would uh, in, in that sphere of, of uh, people, that those were their neighbors. Others drew the circle a little tighter, saying, well, okay, well, those who have sinned, probably, are, I don't really need to be nice to them, because they're not living right, and so I'm going to draw that circle a little closer. I'm only going to be with the people that are, that are living right. Uh, and then e- others, there were even stricter segments of the Jewish population who believed that only members of their specific strict group were their neighbors, those that they were obligated to love or show kindness and, and, uh, uh, and, and serve and basic, so basically the, 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 the understanding of people in the crowd that day that Jesus was talking to they, they would have believed that they weren't really obligated to show love to anyone outside of their circle. Some of them just drew the circle a little tighter than others. But, I, okay, so there is a circle there that are my neighbors, and that means there's some that are outside of that circle. So this religious leader asked Jesus, who exactly should be included uh, in, in that love that we're supposed to show? I mean, I mean, Jesus, I get it, I should love people, but, but I mean, everybody, aren't there, aren't there some people I shouldn't feel too obligated to love? I mean, it's kind of hard, Jesus. 
And, and I think that this guy was trying to see the least amount that he needed to do to inherit eternal life. And Jesus didn't just answer outright. He told a story. So this is the, what we have called the title probably in your, in your Bible there says the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, uh, and, and yet, although that's the title and that's how we know it, uh, the, the central character in this story is not the Samaritan man. The central character around whom all of the action revolves in this story is the man who was beaten and robbed and left for dead. So this parable maybe should be titled the parable of the man who was attacked by robbers, beaten, stripped naked, and left for dead. But that would change a lot of hospital names, so they probably are going to not do that. In, in Jesus' story here, the, 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 that man was, was headed down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. This was a notorious section of road referred to many times in, in that time as the way of blood because it was so dangerous, uh, known for thieves and muggings. Again, Jesus is pulling straight out of what these people in this crowd would have known. Oh, yeah, I know that road. Oh, yeah, that, that's, that's not uncommon for something like that to happen there. It did indeed go, the road did indeed go down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was at about 2,500 feet above sea level and Jericho is about 820 feet, 25 feet below sea level. It's about 15 miles, a mountainous terrain, winding, uh, some cliffs and different places. It would have taken all day to commute from one city to the other. And in this story, the the man was robbed, he's stripped naked, he's beaten, he's left half dead, it says, or as good as dead. And then three different characters each encounter the same scene, and the first is a priest. Priests would would take turns serving in the temple, and and many priests lived in Jericho and would would commute back and forth. They'd go and serve for a while and then, then go back home. This priest was no doubt returning home from his duties after being gone for a while, uh, serving in the temple. So his instinctive response was to pass by on the other side, give a wide berth, right? Uh, interaction with a, with a dead or almost dead body would have meant going through a time-consuming and somewhat costly purification ritual. He was headed home and, uh, and, and he'd been serving and he wasn't going to go through that. The next was a, was a Levite. Now, all priests were Levites from the tribe of Levi, but not all Levites were, were necessarily priests. And so this guy uh, was probably an assistant of some type in the temple. Uh, and uh, yet he's, he's still has pretty much the same story as the priest in, this, in, in Jesus' account here. For whatever reason, uh, he passes by on the other side. There are multi, multiple reasons. It could be fear of getting involved or, or fear that maybe the robbers were just around the corner waiting for somebody else or, or or a fear of contamination from uh, dealing with, uh, with uh, someone who was, who was dead or almost dead. Most likely just busy, though, right? Consumed with their own plans. The priest and the Levite cross uh, to the other side. They weren't necessarily bad men. They were just busy. People in need usually cause problems and it's inconvenient to get involved. And, and they could have been thinking what probably has gone through your mind at least once in your life. Wow, that's awful. I hope someone really does something about that, right? 
At this point in the story, Jesus' listeners probably would have been expecting a hero to rise out of the ranks of the Jewish people. So it, it could have taken that turn and been a story about how the religious elites were not doing what they were supposed to do, but the Jews were going to come to the, come to the uh, aid of this person. And, and, but then, as many of these stories, as we found throughout this summer, many of these stories have this twist, and that's where the education comes. Jesus does a big twist right here when he says three words but a Samaritan. To Jews, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan. This would have been completely, it's a, you know, we, we've grown up, know this phrase, good Samaritan, it's just, it goes together. It would have been a complete, it would never have been uttered in, from, a, from a, uh, a Jewish mouth, good Samaritan. The Samaritans had intermarried with non-Jews. They had defiled the temple. They had distorted the book of the law. They had degraded and twisted worship. Uh, people went miles out of their way to not step foot in Samaria, to even go to the, uh, the borders of, through the borders of Samaria. Samaritans definitely would not have been included in anyone's mind uh, when, when the, uh, the, the uh, expert in the law asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? They wouldn't have thought, well, it's uh, Samaritans probably. They, they, it wouldn't have even occurred to them that, that w- they would be involved. So in using a Samaritan as the hero in this story, Jesus was opening the circle wide of who we should love. It's, it's not so much about his nationality, though, right? I, I mean, uh, his nationality set him apart from the priest and the Levite, but, but uh, even more what he, what he did and how he acted and how he responded set him apart, right? He, there were at least three distinguishing characteristics that, that Jesus used uh, to show not only that our, our circles of who we should love should be widened, but also what that love should look like. The first thing uh, that, that this man showed was compassion, Walking down the road, that, that, that Samaritan didn't see anything that the other two didn't see, but he felt something they didn't feel. It says he took pity on him. Our, our love for God, if we love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, will result in compassion for others. It, it's not just, oh, I feel bad for you, but this compassion took action. Uh, the, the second thing the, this, this guy did that the other two didn't was that he showed care. His compassion led to actual care for the man. The Samaritan allowed himself to be inconvenienced by the needs of a stranger. He didn't have a first aid kit in the glove box of his donkey. He probably tore his own garment to make, uh, make bandages to, to, to help bind this guy's wounds. Uh, he used his own provisions to, to clean and to dress those wounds gave up his own comfort by putting this guy on his own donkey, and then he literally took his own life into his hands, uh, leading, uh, leading him down this same road where all the robbers are always there. And, and this time, he's not just traveling himself. He's, he's leading a donkey, a Samaritan man leading a donkey, on which is an injured Jewish man. I, I, I guess, I don't know, one, one image that comes to mind, maybe, maybe if you're watching an old Western and a Native American guy rides into town with a, an injured cowboy on a horse. 
The assumption is not, oh, this guy's helping that guy, right? The assumption is this guy had a lot to do with the injuries that that guy is, is dealing. That would have been uh, what, was, what was going on here. Uh, he, he, he had probably been responsible for his wounds, not that he was helping him. So the Samaritan uh, followed through on his compassion by exhibiting this personal contact, involvement, and care. And that led to a commitment to this man. The Samaritan paid for his room, covered his expenses into the future, promised more if needed. His compassion wasn't just short-lived, it was long-term, it was hands-on, it was inconvenient, it was expensive, it was messy. Real love is all of those things and more. Jesus told this engaging story full of violence and judgment and unexpected love in answer to a simple question. Who is my neighbor? And after hearing that story, the answer was clear uh, to the expert in the Jewish law and to the crowd listening in and to us today. My neighbor is not just my, the person that's in my circle. Right To them, it wasn't just my fellow Jew. It wasn't just to us, my fellow Christian. Uh, my neighbor is not just those who believe like me or look like me or vote like me or those who even like me. My neighbor is anyone in need whose need I can see and whose need I can meet. My neighbor is anyone in need whose need I can see and whose need I can meet. We don't, we don't have to define. I, I think in telling this story, Jesus didn't just define it. Def, who is my neighbor? Well, it's this. And, and he gives a definition. We don't have to define who our neighbor is. We just have to care for them. We just have to love them to life. But if we're not careful, this can turn quickly back into doing enough good things in order to inherit eternal life. This, uh, this isn't about just trying real hard to be nice. I mean, uh, there, there's a push for kindness these days in a lot of circles. And many people want us to be decent humans. And I have the shirt, be kind. And, and uh, uh, I love wearing that. And I'm behind all that 100%. But it's not just about about trying hard enough to be kind to people. This, this love is different because it's not rooted in niceness. It flows straight out of our relationship with God. Because we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, we are going to love those around us. We are going to care enough to go out of our way to nurse them back to health. Maybe that's physically, like we saw in this story, but maybe that's emotionally, maybe that's spiritually, maybe that's relationally. We, any, any Ali we could put in there, I guess. Uh, it, it's simply what we do because God first loved us. As we love God more and more, we become people who cannot pass by on the other side anymore. We, we could read this parable and, and, and uh, uh, think that it's an answer to what must I do to be saved, right? What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and then we could read the last line, go and do likewise. Okay, well, if I do enough good stuff, then Jesus will like me and I'll be, I'll be in his good graces and I'll earn God's favor. But, but that gets it all backwards. That's not the exact question that Jesus was answering with this story. Uh, that, uh, we already have God's favor, Right In loving God, we will naturally love those that he puts in our path who are in need. So it's about doing good because of our love for God. We're going to love others. But it's, it's, it's all, there's, there's multiple levels here because this isn't just a story about the compassion, care, and commitment that we need to show people around us. 
This is also a powerful illustration of what Jesus has already done for us. We have been beaten up by sin and left for dead on the side of the road of life. Nothing can save us. We can't, we can't do anything to get, get back up and get, get back moving. We can't do enough good things. We can't uh, be religious enough. And then Jesus comes along and he doesn't judge and, and he doesn't ignore. He doesn't ask us where we've come from or how we got ourselves into the mess that we're in. He simply picks us up and he pays the cost for our healing because he loves. He loves God with all of his heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so he loves his neighbor. He loves us. This is not just a picture about what we need to be, but it's a picture of who Jesus already is. And not only is, is the Samaritan a picture of Jesus in the story, this, this good Samaritan, this guy that, that did so much, but I would, I would put out there today that, that the beaten man is also a picture of Jesus. Matthew 25, uh, Jesus says that whenever we help the people that life has left by the side of the road, the people in need, then we're helping him. So in loving our neighbor, we're loving Jesus. This isn't just a parable about doing good deeds. It's, it's so much deeper than that. It's a story that, that, that underlines and puts an exclamation point on what living a life of love looks like. It's not just, love is not just sentimental feeling. It's sacrificial action. Love originates in God himself. And as we love God with every part of our being, it splashes over into the lives of the people around us. And pretty soon, love does not allow us to pass by on the other side but it guides us to give ourselves away as Jesus has already done for us. This is, this is the essence of what it means to live out the mission of our church, right? We live to love people to life. Again, maybe you read that somewhere before. Hopefully you're living that somewhere before. That's exactly what the Samaritan man did in this story for this man who had been beaten up and left for dead. He, he loved him back to life. And Jesus says, go and do likewise. Who, who is your neighbor? As, as we go from here, it's not just, oh, I did my duty and checked the box for, uh, uh, for, for my religious activity for the week, right? It, it's about connecting with God and connecting with the church and recognizing that when I go out those doors, I, I don't leave him or them behind, but I'm part of the church and I'm continuing to live out what it means to love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength as I love my neighbor as myself. I wonder who your neighbor will be this week. Maybe it's your actual neighbor, right? Uh, the person next door or down the street, or maybe it's someone at work or someone at school. Maybe it's someone that, that out of the blue gives you a call. Maybe it's someone online that you are interacting with. I wonder what opportunities you will have this week to meet someone's needs. I wonder what stories of loving people to life you'll have to share next week when we come back together again. Or those stories where you can't help but give somebody a call or send a, send a text or an email and say, you can't believe what, what I feel like God nudged me to do this week. I'm praying that, that it makes a difference. A pastor by the name of Kevin Barron tells the story of the shortest sermon that he's ever known. It was just 10 words. 
And his grandfather preached it to a small country church uh, years before Pastor Barron was even born. After reading the same passage that, uh, that, that we read today from Luke chapter 10 about the parable of the Good Samaritan, Pastor Barron's grandfather mounted the pulpit in this uh, small country church and he said 10 words. We all know what this means. Just go do it. And then he sat down. 10 words. Sermon was over. Jealous? Oh, sorry, no. Several people over the years that were in that service have related that story back to uh, Pastor Barron, and each one described the impact that it had made on them. Years later, they still remembered the shortest sermon they had ever heard. Really, it's just those four words, just go do it. Just go do it. Do what? Love God by loving your neighbor. Just go do it. I mean, Jesus preached the same message at the end of this passage, didn't he? Go and do likewise. 